Thank you, Brother Newell. The song we just sang couldn't be more perfect. Lead in. We're about to visit the depths of sadness, but 521, my hope is built on nothing less, reminds us that his oath and his covenant and his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. So let's remember this as we delve into the depths of despair and sadness in Psalm 74. And let's remember his oath and his covenant that supports us in the whelming flood. Psalm 74 was written by Asaph. Around a dozen or so of the psalms that are collected for us have that subscript. Asaph came from a very godly heritage. He was a Levite that was employed in the worship of, of, uh, of David's temple. His father had been as well, so he came from a godly family. Asaph was apparently very talented in what he did, and he committed many of David's poems to, to music. Unfortunately, the music has not been preserved because it's not the sound that's important. It's the words that are important. Yes, right. Psalm 74 is one that perhaps was written in Asaph's later years. Asaph was a young priest, perhaps around 20, when David brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And David kept him at Jerusalem because of his talent and his interest and his zeal in writing and committing his poems to, to music. Um, he survived all of David's reign. David reigned for 40 years in total. And from what we can tell from Scripture, Asaph survived all of Solomon's reign the next 40 years after David as well, and perhaps even five years after Solomon when his son Rehoboam saw the destruction of the temple by a disastrous raid by Shishak, king of Egypt. In this psalm, Asaph will refer to the, the temple being destroyed by fire and cast down to the ground, and it's possible that he was still alive when that occurred in Rehoboam's time. Although it's not provable and it's not necessary because many of the Psalms have elements of prophecy from which we can learn about future events just as easily as historical events. Yes. Right. But consider Asaph as we, uh, and his times as we read Psalm 74. Allow me to read it to you, please. O oh God, why hast thou cast us off forever? Why doth thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? Remember thy congregation which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed, this Mount Zion, wherein thou hast dwelt. Lift up thy feet unto the perpetual desolations, even all that the enemy hath done wickedly in the sanctuary. Thine enemies roar in the midst of thy congregations. They set up their ensigns for signs. A man was famous according as he has lifted up axes upon the thick trees. But now they break down the carved work thereof at once with axes and hammers. They have cast fire into thy sanctuary. They have defiled by casting down the dwelling place of thy name to the ground. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them together. They have burned up all the synagogues of God in the land. We see not our signs. There is no more any prophet. Neither is there any among us that knoweth how long. O God, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? Why withdrawest thou thy hand, even thy right hand? Pluck it out of thy bosom. For God is my king of old, 
working salvation in the midst of the earth. Thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. Thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the waters. Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Thou didst cleave the fountain and the flood. Thou driest up mighty rivers. The day is thine. The night also is thine. Thou hast prepared the light and sun. Thou hast set all the borders of the earth. Thou hast made summer and winter. Remember this, that the enemy hath reproached, O Lord, and that the foolish people have blasphemed thy name. O deliver not the soul of thy turtle dove unto the multitude of the wicked. Forget not the congregation of thy poor forever. Have respect unto the covenant, for the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of cruelty. O let not the oppressed return ashamed. Let the poor and needy praise thy name. Arise, O God, plead thine own cause. Remember how the foolish man reproacheth thee daily. Forget not the voice of thine enemies. The tumult of those that rise up against thee increaseth continually. Psalm 74. What a sad psalm. Maybe one of the saddest. There isn't one phrase or verse that you can point to and pin. Yeah, that's the, that's the, uh, the happy part of the psalm, if you will. It's all depression. And you know what? How often in our own life and our own experience can we say, you know, there's not a happy part. We get overwhelmed. There's not a happy part in our life right now. It's completely dark. And this chapter of my life is completely depressing and sad and dark. And we say for good reason. You know, right off the cuff, I'd have to ask you, Let's compare your life to that of Asaph. And let's compare your problems to those that Asaph describes in this psalm. Your problems may include very seemingly dark things, the loss of a job, confusion in your family, the loss of a loved one, uh, health issues that are chronic and long-lasting in nature. But consider Asaph's problems. The pillars were removed. The foundations were out of joint. The sanctuary had been destroyed, God had afflicted his people so greatly that the worship of God had been disjointed and dislocated and was out of whack. What do we do now? That's serious. That's a true issue and a true cause for concern. Now, Psalm 74 comes right after Psalm 73, which is arguably Asaph's most famous psalm. And that is where he describes that we go to the house of the house of the sanctuary to get a right perspective on the wicked and their pride. And remember that they are, will be cast down to destruction suddenly, very shortly. But what if there's no sanctuary? You know, at some point in the future, can we imagine not having this church and the outpost of the house of God for us to come to? Perhaps it may happen. God forbid. Let's hold fast. Let's defend. Let's promote. Let's protect. Let's police our own selves and judge our own selves so that God will not have to bring this kind of desolation on our time. You know, it angers and frustrates us when some among us that we have seen and perhaps will see walk out and give up on this holy place. Let's not let that happen in our families if we can help it, and let's certainly not let, let's let that happen in our own souls. Amen. Verse number one, 
O God, why hast thou cast us off forever? In this very first phrase, Asaph gives us the hint of one of the key solutions to his depression, and that is exaggeration. How many times does he say forever as if it were true? Look at verse 9. We see not our signs. There is no more any prophet, neither is there any among us that knoweth how long. The next verse. O God, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? Let's not exaggerate. It isn't forever. It's a very short timeline in the scheme of God's plan for your life, even if that destruction lasted as long as the carrying away of the captivity to Babylon for 70 years. Right. In the grand scheme of things, it's not that long. Most likely, your affliction is more like seven days, maybe even seven years. Okay? But it's very short. Let's not exaggerate. Verse number two. Remember thy congregation which thou hast purchased of old. The church is no new purchase of the Lord. It was purchased in his intent and plan and design very carefully and specifically from the for the foundation of the world. The chosen were regarded as being redeemed by the Lamb slain when they were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. Shall that eternal purpose become frustrated or questionable? Of course not. Will he lose his inheritance, his church, his kingdom upon which he has put his name? Of course not. Will he allow his possessions that he has bought to be torn from him? No. God's ownership is, in fact, great comfort to his saints and his church. His dominion over us and his stated connection to us is of eminent importance. No man will willingly give this up, let alone God. We believe and we are confident that the King of Kings will hold and protect and defend his own. Yes. Verse number three, lift up thy feet into the perpetual desolations, even all that the enemy hath done wickedly in the sanctuary. We learn in this verse that the nature of Asaph's distress is the condition of God's religion and the sad destruction of the worship of God. Just like Psalm 137, when perhaps in prophecy and perhaps in history, they recall when they were carried away to Babylon and they required songs of Zion for mirth's sake. And how could they do that? They hung up their willow, they hung up their harps in the willow trees and said, we can't make mirth in the midst of this utter desolation. Verse number five is Zach and Adam's verse. A man was famous according he has lifted up axes upon the thick trees. The nation used to celebrate and encourage the enhancement of God's worship in this way by doing something productive, creative, that required effort and diligence to build the house of God. How can we do that today? To apply our unique abilities or our perspectives to enhance, to build, to create value in the house of God, because that's what was celebrated in the Old Testament. Yes, the next verse, they destroyed that, and the enemy had cast that down and wrecked vengeance on that value that had been created. The next couple of verses uh, tell us that this cruelty that the enemies had devised was no idle wish. It was their intent to destroy the worship of God in this person's life. Is there an enemy that even today is intent on destroying the worship of God in your life? 
that whatever it takes will keep you from the sanctuary and keep you from congregating together in the synagogues throughout the land. Verse 11 and 12 paint a picture of God working salvation like on a chessboard in the midst of the earth, but then sitting back and folding his hands like this as the enemy destroys his beautiful plan that he had worked. And the prayer is to remove your hand, O God, from your bosom, pluck it out, and get back to work on your inheritance. I like that picture. Verses 13 through 17 go back, as we are often told to do, and remember some historical lessons that God has brought us through. As is mentioned dozens of times throughout Scripture, the Red Sea immediately comes to mind. Thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. The reference here to dragons and Leviathan may not be literal. We don't need it to be literal. Egypt was an overwhelming enemy, very strong, pursuing them on their heels, intent on their destruction. But what a reversal of fortune. He turned them on their heads and drowned them before their very eyes. They sank as a stone to the bottom. That's incredible. Surely this was food for their faith throughout the next many centuries. It certainly was food for fear in their enemies' minds. This also uh, asks us to reflect on the crossing of the Jordan River into Canaan when he divided the river and other times in the Old Testament. It also asks us to remember creation and the wonder and power that takes to to set the bounds of summer and winter. What an amazing feat. Verse number 20, have respect unto the covenant is our prayer. Perhaps your greatest leverage in wrestling with God in prayer is reminding Him of His own covenant. How much better of an argument is the covenant that we have over the covenant that Asaph had? Asaph's covenant was one of do this and live. We have a covenant of grace. Consider this from Hebrews 2 and 10, uh, verses right around where our pastor alluded to earlier. But we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Consider this, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. By him, that is Jesus, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. How about this, that, uh, that you, brother, reminded us when you were up here last. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling. Amen. So in conclusion, then, let's pick four quick reminders from this psalm. Number one, don't exaggerate your case. Compare yourself to Asaph and don't exaggerate. It is relatively short, and usually the quicker you can learn, the better. It may be of benefit to recall that punishment for sin is not the only reason why negative things happen to people. Uh, Looking back in my life, it certainly is probably the biggest one, but it's also the one that's the most easily corrected. Amen. Don't assume it's punishment is my point number two. Don't assume it's punishment. It likely is, 
But don't make that fatal assumption that Job's three friends did. Point number three, remind yourself and tell God about His faithfulness to you in times past. Some of the incredible reversals of fortune that He's performed for His people and for you and for the people around you. His salvations, both large and small, that He has worked on your chessboard of life. Point number four and final, remind yourself and tell God that He bought us. It's a covenant of grace and He paid dearly to get you and establish that covenant. We cannot ignore Asaph's previous lessons in Psalm 73 that God is good to those that are of a clean heart and that we must cleanse our hands. We have clean hands when we remind God of His covenant for us. It It is tragedy to have dirt on our hands and have dirt in our hearts, and we have done despite unto a covenant when we appeal to God to remember His covenant. Let it not be that way. But if we do have clean hands and a clean heart, then the most powerful leverage possible as you wrestle with your angel through the night is that His covenant is forever and for everlasting. And it's a covenant of grace. And it's dependent on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, not your work. Let's remember this in times to come when we, we find ourselves in our flesh becoming uh, despondent and in despair. And let's remember the covenant of grace and remember that these things beforehand were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Amen. Amen.